Welcome to your favorite drive-in theater and a sparkling new season. Watch our screen and local newspapers for all the fine shows coming this way. Show after show will feature the latest hits, the biggest stars for fun-filled, pleasure-packed evenings. Relax, come as you are, and spend an enjoyable night out with the entire family. No parking problems, no babysitting problems. And there are always tasty snacks at our modern refreshment stand. Thanks, folks. And once again, welcome back. Monsters and maniacs Creatures and ghosts What type of horrors will be our show? What's up and welcome to the HorrorCast Drive-In. It is that time of year where we get our muscle cars out and we roll on into the drive-in theater and we get some popcorn and we watch some schlocky movies, some good movies from the uh, mid to late 50s, sometimes maybe some early 60s. But these drive-in episodes are some of our favorite. We, we've covered some great movies and some schlocky movies, and we're going to continue to do that. Uh, this is episode 89, and we are inching closer and closer to 100. So thank you for uh, joining us. And I'm going to bring in my co-host. Well, I'm Mark Nato, uh, if you didn't know. Uh, and I'm going to bring in my co-host tonight. And let's uh, let's bring in the Taminator first. Oh, hello, guys. Um, I don't have a muscle car, so I'm in the back of my parents' station wagon watching these. Nice. Nice. Yep. Got a blanket up over your yep. head in case you get scared. Yep, yep absolutely. Yep. And let's bring in Revenant Vin. Hey. Yeah, I probably wouldn't even have a car. Uh, I'd <laughs> probably be, be the, sci- the dirty bike. sci-fi kid and monster kid getting beaten up somewhere on the playground, but yeah. that's all right. <laughs> yes. Let's let's just say for giggles that what, what what's uh what's Christine a 19 what? 50 is it 57? Oh. Oh. Um, right. You're not asking a car guy. Oh man. Uh, I wish I knew. I'm going to look at Fury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's say we're in Christine, okay? Because doesn't isn't there a scene Sammy's in Christine? Sammy's gonna choke on her popcorn. Yeah, there's a <laughs> there's a scene in Christine. It's where, a 1958 Plymouth Fury. Yeah, there, there's right in the drive-in era, and and there's a scene where uh, Miss Alexandria Paul gets herself almost choked to death at a at a drive-in theater. So, ah, there you go. With that, we are going to get right into it. We're going to take a very, very short break, a message from our sponsor, and then we're going to come on back and we're going to first talk about The Incredible Shrinking Man from 1957, and then we're going to do, it's a double feature, uh, so don't forget to stay late, and we're going to go through with Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. So we are going from very small to very big. Uh, That's our theme tonight, right? (laughs) small man big woman i don't know that's our theme so we'll be right back try the perfect refreshment chili dilly a delicious pickle treat that's spiced just right for every bite economical too 
There's no waste. You eat every bit of the juicy goodness of Chili Dilly. How about trying one right now? Chili Dilly. On sale at our concession stand. You'll love them. Okay, we are back. And let's just get right into it, guys. The The Incredible Shrinking Man came out in 1957, one hour and 21 minutes long. And we find that most of these kind of drive-in theater movies, they, they're pretty uh, slight. You know, they don't have long running times, uh, but one hour and 21 minutes. Uh, it's horror sci-fi. It actually came out on May 17th, 1957, directed by Jack Arnold, who did a lot of these sorts of schlocky movies. Uh, although I wouldn't consider this one schlocky. I really wouldn't. Written by Richard Matheson of sci-fi horror fame. He's a great writer. Lots of Twilight Zone stuff. Lots of, lots of stuff that we've already talked about he wrote the screenplay and of course he wrote the novel that it is based off of stars grant williams uh randy stewart april kent paul langton raymond bailey and uh that's about all you need to know so i'm going to give you the quick uh, synopsis and then we're going to roll the trailer and then we're going to get into our first impressions when scott carey begins to shrink because of an exposure to a combination of radiation insecticide medical science is powerless to help him. And here's the trailer for The Incredible Shrinking Man. The Incredible Shrinking Man. You are getting smaller. There's no medical precedent for what's happening to you. I, I simply know that you're getting smaller. I want you to start thinking about us, our marriage. Some awful things might happen. As long as you've got this wedding ring on, you've got me. This is Orson Welles speaking. I have 45 seconds to tell you about something I think you'll remember the longest day you live. It's about a man named Scott Carey. A few months ago, he was six feet, two inches tall and weighed 190 pounds. Today, he's two inches tall and you can hold him in the palm of your hand. Now he lives in a world where he must fight for his life, a world where a friendly house cat is a predatory monster. Incredible, because it's almost beyond imagining. Incredible, because every hour he gets smaller and smaller. Incredible, because every moment the terror mounts. Okay, we're back, and I'm going to ask um, Reverend Vin, why don't you roll down your car window and, <laughs> and, and let us know your first impressions. And uh, I know you uh, said you've read this novel, so give us some insight. Yeah, um, I had not seen this movie before. When I had heard the title, I had always assumed that it would be uh, a campy you know, type of film. Um, I'm pretty sure as a kid I had seen The Incredible Shrinking Woman, which is 
a comedy. I have vague memories of that. Lily um, Tomlin, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't remember a lot about it, but uh, I, I probably thought that it was going to be something like that. But over time, and through different things that I was reading, I got the sense that the film actually takes itself pretty seriously and that it was worth looking into. And I had always liked Richard Matheson, and I had acquired a 1956 copy of the book. So I was sort of looking for the excuse to read it <laughs> this time. Um, so I kind of read it, you know, just, just this past week. But what's interesting for me in that it, it definitely colored my reading of the book and of the movie is that just before I read The Shrinking Man, I finished reading Albert Camus, and I think I'm saying that right, his The Myth of Sisyphus, which is a philosophical essay that deals with the absurd. And it was written during the Nazi occupation of France. But it wasn't published in English until 1955. Um, it examines the notion that life is meaningless, and yet humans search for meaning nevertheless. And that meaning seekers exist in a world devoid of meaning is where absurdity rises. And because of this, Camus contends that the most important philosophical question is whether one should commit suicide because of this. Um, if life has no meaning, what keeps us going each moment and day? The daily drudgeries of life become tragic in those fleeting moments where we when we truly actually become conscious of them. Now, this sounds overly dramatic, but it's not. Uh, it's presented much better by the writer that I'm presenting it. Um, and when you think of what people were going through in World War II, uh, where there seemed like no hope for things to actually get better day after day, what drives us during those times is not really an idle concern. Um, and this is where the myth of Sisyphus, that he gets the title from, is instructive. Um, for this is a figure that keeps pushing the boulder up the hill over and over again, condemned to a life of hardship without reward, and yet Camus presents a situation in which Sisyphus is nevertheless content. What it all comes down to is consciousness. We are conscious beings that can recognize absurdity. And this recognition frees us into a sort of acceptance of the way existence is. We can embrace the unreasonableness of things and be free in absurdity. Suicide is rejected because without human consciousness, absurdity cannot exist. The contradictions will go unrecognized. Um, our attitudes are how we navigate the absurd life. Now, I say all this because as I read The Shrinking Man, which was published in 1956, the year after the English translation of Camus, I couldn't help but wonder if Matheson had read it, or at the very least, since Matheson had also been in World War II, if he had come to many of the same conclusions through his experiences. Because over and over again in the book, we see Scott Carey remark on the absurdity of his situation. He even uses that word absurd a lot. Um, and on several occasions, he contemplates suicide, but doesn't go through it for reasons he doesn't fully understand. Um, his situation is a series of hardships, not unlike Sisyphus or those who drudge without reward. And in the end, so much of the resolution is about the acceptance of the situation in which he's able to at last find contentment. Um, this acceptance is different from the movie in that it's not quasi-religious. Uh, Matheson actually didn't like the reference to God that was placed in the film. Um, they did change his script around some. It's more about the realization that the world is infinitely vast as well as infinitely small, and intelligence may also be found in the microscopic universe in which he now resides, and he may not have to be alone anymore. So much of this felt like the absurd man coming to his epiphany and at last embracing existence as it is, not as he wants it to be. And that's definitely a theme of the book, the horror of the novel comes from the fears of emasculation, mm. which is a theme we see common in the 1950s, kind of actually due to the rise of suburbia. Um, yeah. Men were afraid that they wouldn't really be manly if they lived in the suburbs um, because of how much life had changed. So we see crisis of masculinity a lot in that decade. And until the end in the book, Carrie can't get out of the mindset of a 1950s male with expectations that he should be taller than his wife, the breadwinner, master of the house and respected by his child, he has a daughter in the book, uh, and ruler of his domain. The book is a record of the slow death of the male ego, 
the situations which Carrie finds himself in the book are they're dark and too risque for 1950s movie audiences, including nearly being uh, molested by a drunk who mistakes him for a pubescent boy. His shrinking stature also makes him susceptible to being bullied by neighborhood teens. Uh, more than anything, we see sexual frustrations. Like there's mm-hmm. one actually really great scene where uh, he's sitting next to his wife on the couch and he's desiring her, but he's the size of like a 12 year old. And he's afraid that she'll reject him or be disgusted if he tries anything. Um, uh-huh. And as he gets smaller, he kind of resorts to like spying on a teenage babysitter. Uh, and then later, in, when he's in the dollhouse, he lays with a doll and like cuddles it with just for some form of human affection. And really, it's not until the not until he drops the rigid ideals of conformity that he stops thinking of himself as a freak or a child or as effeminate and comes to accept himself for what he is that he finally f- finds release. And the movie kept a few of these themes, although they're very brief. And it mm-hmm. will be interesting, I think, to talk about how they arise in the film, the way Jack Arnold interpreted them. Matheson wrote the screenplay, but it followed the non-linear structure of the novel. It didn't go from like beginning to end. It kind of kept cutting back in flashbacks. Uh, they had another guy come in and rework it, and Arnold added some of the stuff. Um, and Matheson actually didn't like the film for a long time. Uh, until his son kind of made him think of the non-traditional ending, and he finally was able to accept it as a good film, uh, but it mm-hmm. took a long time. But anyway, the, the, those are the kind of things that I was thinking about as I'm reading and then as I'm watching the film, is this looks like the journey of the absurd man. I couldn't help but be struck by the the reflections that I was seeing in the two different books that I read one after the other, that on the surface, I didn't have anything, I didn't have any reason to think that they were related at all. But anyway, sorry for the ramble. <laughs> No, it's cool. I mean, I like that um, comparison. I, I know I had heard something about Matheson getting the idea for this movie uh, after he was watching another movie yeah. a couple years earlier, and a man putting a hat on that was too big mm-hmm. for his head, and that kind of sparked something in his mind. But it doesn't mean that you know he wasn't already trying to find a way to write something that dealt with all those issues, you know? Uh, so yeah, I thought, um, I might have to give that novel a, uh, a go. I mean, how many pages that is that? That's just like a paperback novel, right? It's not like, yeah, I mean, I think it was less than 200. Pa- I have a, I have the hardcover from 56, but, um, I think it was less than 200 pages. It's, it's a quick read. You can get through it pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, if this was ever remade, then, then they could definitely take it in a lot more of those directions that he maybe had originally intended. Yeah. 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 And I know that this is supposed to be, I, I heard, I read somewhere in December that this was supposed to be something that they were thinking about remaking like into a trilogy type thing. And I, I'm not sure. Uh, if that's still in the works or whatever, but it'd be interesting. So, Taminator, what were your first impressions, and did you had you seen this before? Yeah, I've seen this lots of times before. I remember um, there's that really iconic uh, cat scene where the mm-hmm. cat's outside mm-hmm. of the. I remember seeing a clip of that when I was quite young and thinking that that was I don't know just really stuck with me. And so when I finally saw the movie that had that in that, I was like, oh, that's what that's from, you know? But yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that I have not read the book, but I agree with everything, you know, that Vin said. And I think it's definitely with, you know, it coming about in the 50s. I think there's a lot to do with like the switching of gender roles. And also, I think there's just kind of like a, they're kind of tackling the idea of the, mon, what's the word, mundane, mon, the mundaneness of 
uh-huh. human existence because, you know, even the most mundane things that he has to do be, take on this like nightmarish quality. And it's, I think, you know, men are defined by their ability to dominate those around him. And suddenly, I mean, he loses domination over his spouse, other humans, where he is in the food chain, even his pet. Mm-hmm. And then they go out and the end, it gets even more meta to the earth, his relationship to the earth, the environment, and even the universe. So, I mean, there's some really huge <laughs> underlying themes disguised as just like a, I think what has, you know, the reputation of being kind of a schlocky 50s drive-in movie. Yeah, that's that's what I said when I at the beginning where I said we go some through some schlocky movies and uh, the one after this is definitely a schlocky movie, uh, <laughs> but but this one I, I didn't find I think it takes itself very seriously, yes. and uh, the more that I you know did some research into it, I mean all you have to do is watch it and realize okay this was 1957 these effects are really, really top-notch. Yes, uh, yes. For, for um, 1957. Whereas our next movie is a year later, and the effects are horrible. <laughs> you Those know? effects didn't hold up in 1958. No, <laughs> you know? no, they were horrible. But we'll talk about that when we get there. I want to spend time talking about how good these effects are. I mean, yeah. you know, just... I know they had spent like seven or eight months... Yeah, uh, I read kind of storyboarding on. and and building those like, big props and kind of figuring out how they were going to do this. I mean, they they used, um, of course, they used um, you know backing screens, yeah. you know something um, rear projection, yeah, rear projection mm-hmm. and and uh, a split screen and forced perspective and all that stuff. Um, but it was very, very. I, I can't think of another movie quite this old that really does this sort of stuff. Um, even, you know what they did so well was they kept scale through almost the whole thing, which gets really lost in the next movie that we're going to talk about. Oh my yeah. Gosh, does it? <laughs> and then, yeah, I mean, I, imagine the amount of thinking. Mm-hmm. Editorially wise, that would take to plan out to keep that scale going. I mean, that one of those last scenes where he's just. He's on a like a screen, you know, a screen window, mm-hmm. and he's real, so tiny. I mean, somebody built that, and it's like perfect, you know. Yeah. It's just crazy. Which the, it's the same screen that he couldn't fit through earlier. Yeah, right. right. And you somebody know? thought, to, yeah, to keep yeah. the just, well, really just say, continuous. Yeah. My wife watched it with me, and she teaches math, and she teaches lessons on similarities and proportions. And sometimes they do lessons where the kids will make like a a large size of something, you know, like it could be like a pencil that's now like, you know, six feet long or something, Mm -hmm. but they have to get all the proportions right as they went through. And one of the things that she was commenting on was how impressed she was (laughs) by the proportions and the props. And she's like, this is really good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They they didn't just uh, throw this together. There was a lot of research and a lot of love that went into it. And for, for something, I mean, we're not going to lie and say that, it completely holds up as far as like, you know, uh, like something that today would look. No, uh, but e- but even, they'd CGI it today. Yeah, you, you, they I couldn't mean, do you know, any better. I don't think well, anybody if I mean, they practical did it. Remember, remember, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's a whole different kind of movie, but they did very similar stuff. Yeah, in in the eighties, pre CGI. You know? So yeah, it wasn't CGI, was it? I mean, it was. 
you know, huge props and, and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff, practical stuff. And they, they probably took uh, lessons from this movie, oh, yeah. I guarantee you. I mean, there's even points in this film where you can, even when it's obvious, like when he's running around as a little person on the street, you know, and you can tell he's superimposed because it doesn't quite look right. Yeah. Even then, they match it up so well with the actors and the extras that are in the scenes yep. when they look yes. at him or when he goes up a step. You know, yes. that still looks really good. Even you can tell that they superimposed it, but they're, it's it's aligned so well and timed so well. Mm-hmm. You know, like even you mentioned the, the cat scene. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. most of the time it's him in front of a rear projection, but mm-hmm. it's timed so well, it looks great. Yeah. Um, you know, I I was able to suspend my disbelief. And even the, the spider fight. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I've seen some really bad spider fights. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I felt like this was almost like second only to like Shelob in the Return of the King. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm like, this actually, you know, I can imagine being a kid in the 50s and seeing this and just being completely floored. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. it, it. it's a real spider. They okay. used uh, compressed air to kind of get the spider to move in certain directions. And even to haunch up, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to strike or whatever. I mean, yeah. I mean, that was. I just the was different very, angles of the camera. Yes. Yeah, you know? I actually um, wrote in my notes: great spider acting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, did you know this is the same spider that is in Tarantula? No, I, I've heard that's not true. Really? Um, uh, that they actually they actually had to kill a number of spiders in this because they needed such uh, hot lamps. To film mm-hmm. that they kind of kept cooking them. <laughs> oh my god! So I heard there was like I, I read somewhere that it was like twelve different spiders they had to use for this, and it wasn't actually because. But people people say it because Jack Arnold also did Trilantula. Um Hey Jack! But, yeah, but I guess Spider that's that's again. a rumor that I guess is not true. But yeah, yeah. Well, I, I do know that the cat was in uh, uh, many films. Yes, he was orangey. Yes, and he even won an award for something. I forget, <laughs> yeah. but you know. <laughs> He he really um, was somebody that like Morris the cat, you know, from the eighties. Yes, he really looked up to Orangey <laughs> and, uh, and his acting skills. So, yeah, but um, man, I just I really I don't think that this guy Grant Williams who played the lead, um, he never really broke through, right? I mean, he that never. Was, this was his biggest thing. Yeah, and I thought he was number one. That's a good-looking guy, mm-hmm. and he did a very good job. I, th- yeah. I, I felt for him, and and you know, feeling probably that's the way I would be reacting. You yeah, know, I guess he, yeah. he, he, he lashes out on set too. <laughs> yeah, he lashes out at his wife. His wife didn't do anything to him. She's doing the best she can, you know, yeah. um, but he lashes out. He's just mad at the world. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I felt for him. I thought uh, all, all the acting across the board was good in this movie. There's I long thought- periods without dialogue where he's just got to carry the scene, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. by himself. And he did such a good job. And I like I like the whole thing where, you know, some some movies, if there's not a lot of dialogue going on, they will have the character talk to themselves or something to kind of make that. This mm-hmm. is like, you would hear his thoughts. Yes. You, know, you get his thought he, process down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I thought that was kind of neat how this is, is actually two different kind of movies put together. 
Yeah. You know, the first the first part of this movie is very like, relational and this mm-hmm. is how this guy would react. And then bam, he he falls into the basement or to the cellar and it's a survival movie. You it's know, a giant with, creature feature. Yeah, with a monster. <laughs> I was shocked they didn't do something with, with like a rat or a mouse. That would have been um neat too, but maybe they didn't have enough time or budget. But uh yeah, and I, I was just like feeling for the guy, like when when they when they finally came down the steps because of the little yeah. flood, mm-hmm. you know, and he's hanging on to a nail. Hey, hey, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he could hear him. Yeah. Oh man, and then he then he washes off, and he's the the great there on the floor. He's holding on to a pencil, just like <laughs> oh man. And I like how the you know his clothes. He was getting he was getting um, smaller and smaller, so he he had to take his clothes off and fashion uh, yep. his his new clothes. Where in the next movie, just automatically yeah. this this woman has a nice bikini that <laughs> yeah is stretched out for fitting a fifty foot woman bed yeah. sheet bikini or something that she's wearing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know they put a lot of thought into it, and I this. I like this movie so much. I'm probably going to buy it. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's on Blu-ray somewhere because uh, I've I rented it on VOD. On no, actually, I didn't. I I I, I, I have Comcast uh, Xfinity, and I searched for it, and it's actually for free on the Peacock app. Mm-hmm. Which, if you have Comcast Xfinity, you get that for free. So it's the I guess NBC owns all the to rights to this. Um, I don't know if the, well, this wasn't a Universal Studios, was it? I'm trying to remember the beginning. I think there was a Universal International. Yeah, well, in the beginning. Yeah, NBC yeah. owns it, and and it is uh, on the Peacock app, and it 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 looked great. It really looked great. I mean, uh, I don't know if they've really cleaned it up, um, but yeah. the cinematography looked good. Yeah, the uh, camera work is good. I mean, even mm-hmm. I like how the angles change. Mm-hmm. Because, like, when he's first shrinking, like, when he's the size of a child, the camera looks down on him. Mm-hmm. Like, we're seeing it from Louise's perspective. But then by the time he's in the basement, we're seeing everything from his perspective. You know, everything's looking up and looming yep. large. And I kind of mm-hmm. like that. I think it, it helps to um, empathize with his character more mm-hmm. by the time we get there. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I, I like the part where he was just kind of feeling sorry for himself and wandering around the city and he ends up um i, I don't they they said he you know he didn't have an affair and maybe maybe an emotional attachment there no. to the to the uh the little person right. uh, that is that the, the same little the, person that was up on stage with the um the traveling circus or the carnival yeah she sings for the mm-hmm. the carnival yeah uh, in the book he does actually have a physical relationship with her but in the movie it's just platonic yeah um, well, once he's smaller than her, then he's really, he just yeah. screams, runs away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening again. But, and I liked the, the medical, uh, parts of it, like all these little, um, experiments and tests and stuff they're doing, uh, on him. Uh, like, like they would, <laughs> like they would put the stuff under the microscope and talk about it while he was in the room. You know, they, <laughs> it's not the way the doctors do things, or at least yeah. not nowadays. But yeah, it was uh, it was enjoyable, man. Enjoyable all the way around. 
What else? I also really liked all the MacGyvering that he had to do. You watched mm-hmm. him like, how is he going to get his piece of cheese out of the mouse trap, or you oh, know, yeah. how's he going to get up from one level to another level? And you just got to watch him to figure out all these things on his own using just whatever he could still lift because you know by then he was like freaking an inch tall or something you know and mm-hmm. it's like you what i don't know learning how to just use what's around you to get what you need and i mean he didn't even have guarantee of having food or anything mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean i think that the year before or pretty close to this robinson crusoe had come out you know, I think that there's definitely a, a Robinson Crusoe element that they lean on for the basement scene. Um, you know, uh, in, in again, in I'm not I'm not making a comparison to go against the movie at all. I'm just trying to you know talk about the themes. But in the uh, in the book, it's much more of a you know he's always starving, he's always thirsty, he's always being terrorized by a spider when he's in the basement. And in the movie, they do take a little bit more of like an adventure. You know, like he's. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, he's like, he's primitive man now, <laughs> you know, and he, yep. he even talks about how he wants to, uh, uh, how does he say it? He wants to like dominate the territory or something, right? By killing the spider. He had to become yep. like master of his domain or something, yes, right? Yes, yes. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I think there's, you know, it, he, he still can't hold on. At that point, he's still holding on to what he thinks he's supposed to be. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. it's not until after he yeah. kills a spider that, and he gets the food, he doesn't even eat it. You know, yeah. Yeah. but you know, which I think is a very interesting ending. Uh, the way that they go with this, very different from 1950s endings, they generally tend to be. Yeah, I, like you were talking about the um, finagling of what's around him to to MacGyver things, like that little was that a fish hook? What, what was that? That was a, a pin that he bent. A pin that, and he bent it with um, with heat, right? No, he he stuck it in a hole in the wood. Yeah, he was pushing on it. What did he do with the um, the big match? He like burnt the rope. Yeah, the rope. Yeah, that's how he cut the rope. Yeah, that's a big old match, man. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that he would have had a harder time uh, striking that match. I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying that. Um, but I liked the the whole setup with the the ruler. Uh, kind of stuck in a little bit of paint. Oh yeah, the paint mixing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, and, the wood. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and it's going over a cardboard box. And <laughs> I mean, you see that that paint loosening, and it, oh, God, it, it looks good. It was good tension. It was good tension. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, if he falls into the box, he's done. Yeah. You know, because he's he ain't getting out of there. <laughs> well, I do love how his plan goes awry when he tries uh-huh. to kill the spider. Mm-hmm. You know, it's he. He's gonna try and eat those huge scissors. Um, yes, <laughs> which I get. You know, like I said, my wife was impressed by the sizes. I'm like, I look. It looks like I could actually use those scissors. Like that's yes. how they look like real scissors to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was convinced when he really couldn't pick them up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I like how he kind of has to, you know, uh, think fast with yeah. that ending. And we did get a little. We did get a little blood. When, yep, when he stuck yeah. the, the spider in the abdomen, spider icker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, I, mean, I did mention the ending. I mean, I like the, you know, in endings in the 1950s, you know, especially in the sci-fi horror, usually the enemy is destroyed. You restore the status quo. You know, you have a final scene where the hero 
is standing there and it fades to black and he's usually looking on victoriously and maybe he's got a pretty girl in his arms, you know? And in this, like, no, he loses his wife. He does not get healed. Um, mm-hmm. Instead, he has to just accept his new existence. Um, and I think that's very novel for that time period for uh, the 1950s. Well, um, I read that that was not the initial ending and they convinced him. Yeah, they tried to make them change it. Yep. Yeah, because the studio wanted him to have a happy ending where he got large again and went back to yep. his wife and they fought and they said, no, 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 we're going to keep it this way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just the other thing I kind of like is it reminded me when he was having the conversation with Clarice. Um, it's uh, kind of like those who are different still matter. Um, his perception keeps changing, but the perception is always valid, mm-hmm. right? Like no matter what size mm-hmm. he gets. He always thinks that he's losing everything, but every time he gets a new size, he finds himself in a world in which he's not really alone. Um, and yes, he leaves things and people behind, but there are more things and lives awaiting him. Uh, you know, like w- when he and Clarice talk about it and they say, it's everyone else that feels out of step. You know, yeah. um, it's I, I think that that was an interesting thing to put where, you know, every time he thinks the next step is going to be the end, he finds that he can survive. And that there's a whole new world, and the perspective is different, but it's it's a valid perspective, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. um, which I think is a very interesting thing that the the movie I think was playing with. Is there anything like negative that you wanted to bring up, like you thought it could have done better? The only thing for me is, I think that I, I just I just think they could have handled the horror of shrinking in the first half a little bit more. It just feels at times like they're racing through that bit to yeah. get him to the basement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if they hadn't changed Matheson's structure the way that he originally wrote the screenplay, um, and they didn't make it linear, that this wouldn't be necessary because we would we would have started off in the basement and then we would have seen the rest in flashbacks. But it feels like they're kind of in a rush to get him to that basement. Um, but again, mm-hmm. it's it's not a major criticism. Um, you know, I think I still think it's a perfectly fine first half. Uh, but it's just they, they, you said it's like two different movies. You know. Um, and it feels like they they spent more time and care on the second half than the first movie. But what do you think that um, it could maybe get ten more minutes at the beginning? Yeah, I think so. Like you know, um, it, it's again I don't like to compare the book usually, but it's like you know in the book he had a daughter, so he's dealing with that kind of like disciplinary issue. But I would have liked to see him, you know just with with Louise more maybe more of the mm-hmm. stuff that they were going through um, mm-hmm. more about life because they kind of they skip large periods of time in the first half mm-hmm. uh, it's like all of a sudden he's the size of a boy it's like yeah. whoa, whoa you know uh, there's I, I just feel like there, there could have been a little bit more in that first half yeah well that and like see, people seem kind of like matter of fact about I mean, yes, they're alarmed that he's shrinking, but I don't know, have either of you guys seen in the movie um, Thinner by Stephen King? Yeah, a long time ago, but yeah. Yeah, yeah long, well, long the, a guy is, I mean, he's not shrinking, but he's getting skinnier and skinnier and skinnier. And people are like freaking out from, you know, after he loses his first five pounds, you know, and it, they don't, they seem to kind of take it in stride. And I don't know if it's because they think, I mean, back to this movie, they seem to kind of take it in stride. Like, oh, yeah, this guy's shrinking. Yeah, now we know why. Oh, there's nothing we can do about it. You know, and I mean, I think his wife is trying to constantly stay one s- step ahead and like, you know, try to make everything seem as normal as possible. And you don't really get to see there had to be a lot of horribly emotional things going on between the two of them. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. 
I mean, just sexual, emotional, everything. Mm-hmm. And you, you just are kind of robbed of that whole part of it. Yeah, I mean, I think if they remade it or something, they would definitely focus on that. But maybe that's something that they thought audiences in the 50s weren't really looking for. Yeah, they were yeah. looking. No, they, they, were they weren't looking ready for, for that. <laughs> yeah, they were looking more for the monster movie. So that's why they wanted to get him to the basement. So, yeah. But again, that stuff is still good. I mean, when when he gets to the basement, there's some great stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I love. I mean, I love the first half, and I love the. Yeah, no, it's all uh, good. Uh, the scenes in the living room. Uh, yeah. W- w- mm-hmm. The split screen with him and his wife. Yeah. He's on the one side, and he's on the other. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's. He's gotten to the point where he's looking out the window, like he's on his tiptoes looking out the window. <laughs> uh, it it just looks so uh, weird. He's wearing boys' clothes. Mm-hmm. He's got little yep. kids' clothes on, you know. And then uh, when he uh, when he had to answer the phone, <laughs> yeah, so big he was like, "Hello." Yeah, but well, you it, see him was, writing with the pencil, and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was really good, man. It was really good. I, I would recommend this uh, to just about anybody. I mean, I don't know if I would say if you if you don't like old black and white movies, you might not like this one. But if you have appreciation for filmmaking and and uh, storytelling, this this is uh, a number one kind of stuff, if you ask me. So, anything else before we uh, rate this and move on to the actual star of the night? Uh, Attacking uh, a 50-foot woman. <laughs> just wanted to mention one thing that we touched on, because I don't want to make it sound like they didn't touch on it, um, because they did, but I would like them to go further with it, and that's his relationship with his wife. I think that it's significant that it starts off when they're on the boat, and he's trying to get her to go get him a beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And they make an agreement you know, that he'll cook dinner, she gets in the beer, but he kind of plays the role of like this. Um, and this is something, an idea I got from, I was reading uh, Mark Jankovic's Rational Fears, and this is where I got this from. So uh, it, it's a out of print book, unfortunately, but it's really good. Um, but he basically, he plays like a, a feudal master. You know, he's t- calling her a wench, go get me the flag. And um, so he has a certain kind of complacency in his role as a dominant male. And I think that as that, you know, as he loses that power, that's when he starts getting angrier at Louise. He kind of takes it out on her more. Um, and again, that's just something I think they could have explored more, um, you know, with more nuance. It's it's there, but it's it, you can almost miss it. They they go through it so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but as a woman, when I, as soon as he said, go get me the beer, I was like, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Even, okay, so I grew up, I would have been young in the 70s back then. If my dad wanted something, my mom got up from the kitchen table and went and got it. No no questions and you know asked. Yeah. So I just, mm-hmm. I guess it wasn't so weird back then. Yeah, it's a different time. Mm-hmm. Different time. Uh, I mean, there are times where my wife will go get me something, but there's times where I'll go get her something. You know, yeah. it's it's give and take, you know, whoever's up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, at the beginning when they're on the boat and, and the, the cloud of radiation <laughs> yeah. or whatever, I think um, after that, it was almost like glitter on his yeah. body. Or something. Yeah. I was, I was like, what that, is that? that's is in it? the book, though. He 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 gets sprayed while he's out on a boat with like a weird mist and it kind of glitters on him. So that's what they were okay. trying to do is talk about okay. with the uh, with the book. Um, one one interesting piece of trivia that I thought was a uh, the part where um 
he's got the the large drops are coming down from the water boiler. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yep, I know what they yeah. used. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so they had about a hundred condoms that they filled up with water and they were dropping them off of a little conveyor belt. Um, so I, I thought that was actually I, I I heard one story from somewhere that uh when when the studio was looking at the bill. They mm-hmm. saw hundred condoms, and they called Jack Arnold in. They're like, "What? What are you using those condoms for?" And he said, "My crew's been working hard. I threw hard. I threw him a party, you know." <laughs> so, uh, but I, don't know, yeah. I, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, they had to they had to get innovative, man. And that that just shows their, um, you know, commitment to yeah. to the filmmaking process because there there were other things that they were using, and and it it just didn't look right. And they had to, you know, to do something. I mean, it's kind of guerrilla filmmaking, right? And, hey, go out to drug fair and get some condoms. Yeah. And we'll try that out. <laughs> uh, I mean, it worked. So I like, guess Jack Arnold remembered uh, going, like, finding finding one in his father's drawer, not knowing what it was. Mm-hmm. And he filled it up with water and threw it off their uh, their building in the city <laughs> when he was a kid. <laughs> so uh, that's how we knew it would work. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. 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 I, I don't really have anything uh, negative to say about this movie. Um, I, the only other thing I would say, and it's not a negative, it's just me wanting more, is like I said, you, you see that mouse trap. Uh, and I wish that there might have been another, you know, creature down there, like a mouse or something or a they rat. They had a clean house. Yeah, they did. She left cake down there. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't even a mouse. <laughs> there wasn't a mouse going after the cheese. I was like, damn. Yep. That's a clean yep. basement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and rate this movie. The, the uh, Incredible Shrinking Man. Um, I'm going to go ahead and do it myself. Okay. First, uh, I have to take into consideration this movie being... Uh, made in 1957 I, I can't I don't know you know what I'm saying I can't use the same sort of scale as I would use you know, as today but as, I'm saying 1957 watching this movie in 2020 th- this is about a nine uh, to me I mean this this is a really good movie I was completely into this movie and I, I don't think I'd ever really seen this movie. I think I had seen uh, some of the famous scenes uh, clips here and there, but I was completely uh, into this movie. Um, and that's, you know, there's very few uh, movies like this that were sometimes my mind doesn't wander. So it did a really, really good job of keeping me interested and giving me an appreciation for what this, this, filmmaking crew did back in 1957 so i'm going to give it a nine out of ten uh what about you tammy um i'm right there with you i'm going to also say a nine um what i would say is it this movie if you've never seen it it's not what you think it is by the title it's really not it's a very captivating enthralling good movie my son who will not watch a black and white movie was sitting next to me playing Fortnite and I glanced over at him, and after about 10 minutes, he was watching, and he watched the whole thing with me. So I think it's just really easy to get kind of, like, drawn into the story. It, 
it goes a lot of places and covers a lot of things you're just not expecting from a you know quote unquote 50s drive-in movie it's mm-hmm. it's something pretty special i would give it a nine also all right vin yeah i was bouncing back and forth between an 8.5 and a nine but you guys got me at a nine now um <laughs> You know, th- this was among the highest grossing science fiction films of the decade. Um, it it was chosen for preservation by the National Film Registry. Um, so, I mean, this is an important piece of cinema. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, it, you, like you said, it, it's 2020. And uh, I was I was captivated, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, um, when he was fighting a cat or or a spider. I I bought it, you know, like I was, you know, I was on the edge of my seat when, you know, the uh, the, the paint stick was <laughs> was coming apart. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, it, it was not distracting me um, with like, you know, shoddy special effects. And even if the special effects are obvious, that's fine. Like, obviously, I don't expect to be convinced by what I'm seeing, um, mm-hmm. but it was done so well and with such craft. Uh, you know, unlike the next movie we're going to talk to and talk mm-hmm. about, um, that I I was just able to accept it. You know, uh, with the camera angles and what they were choosing to put close-ups on and how they were doing it and how they were hiding things, it was just it was just done so well and so expertly um, mm-hmm. that it really draws you into the narrative. Um, so yeah, this is a this is a nice tight film, you know, uh, with some really good special effects for not just for 1957. Um, these are good special effects for quite a few decades after. Um, Mm -hmm. And they're still better than a lot of the stuff I've seen (laughs) that came out. Amen to that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So yeah, I'm I'm at a nine with you guys as well. Yeah. It was a shame. uh, Grant Williams, that was a lead. I mean, he died pretty young, uh, died at the age of 53. Uh, I think he should have gotten some more recognition for this. And um, I'm looking, I was just trying to see if there's anybody else that might've been still living from this uh from this film i don't um, know they're all gone yeah i think they're pretty much all gone i'm looking here nope diana darren who was one of the nurse nurses <laughs> she's still living uh, of course uh, <laughs> yeah she took care of herself what was the name of um, oh, she was a nurse what was the oh butch the cat he is way gone uh what's the name of the um the the lady that he meets from the the circus, uh, Clarice was her uh, her name. She was one. almost she was in like nothing. She she was only in like three things. This is I think one of the last things that she was in. Hmm. And they don't even have her name on here. Really? Oh, here it is. Yeah, she was cute. Clarice she was cute. Yeah. yeah, she was cute. She died in ninety in nineteen ninety eight. But they're they're all like dying young. Wait till the next movie, man. 63? Yeah, I know, I know. (laughs) So, all right. A lot worse than the next movie. (laughs) All right. Well, let's go ahead and take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to have a heck of a good time talking about the classic attack of the 50-foot woman. Yes, sir. Uh, may I help you? Uh, I'd like two of those, please. Hot dogs? Yes, sir. And three of those. And one of those. And five bars of these. And a cup of that nice hot liquid. Uh, coffee. Uh, coming right up. Oh, and two bags of those peculiar white puffy material. Uh, you mean our crunchy popcorn. Uh, uh, shall I wrap that for you, sir? Oh, that's all right. My saucer's just outside. 
<laughs> they come from miles to enjoy our intermission. And now, on with the show. All right, we are back, and let's uh, chat about Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. This one came out almost a year exactly after The Incredible Shrinking Man, uh, May 18th, 1958. Um, it is not rated. It is one hour and five minutes long. That's right, 65 minutes. Uh, it's horror sci-fi directed by Nathan Duran uh, as Nathan Hertz. I'm not sure what's going on there. The writer was Mark Hanna. <laughs> uh, just to uh, interject real quick, he he wanted his name changed because it was so bad. Yeah, that's oh, what I really? He didn't want his real yeah. name on there. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, there you go. <laughs> uh, that makes a lot of sense now. Uh, it stars uh, Allison Hayes as the, uh, and I mean this literally, the titular character, uh, <laughs> Nancy Fowler Archer. Um, William Hudson as Harry Archer, one of the... Uh, this guy was a complete bum, wasn't he? Oh, my gosh. Yvette Vickers as Honey Parker. Uh, Roy Gordon as Dr. Isaac Cushing. George Douglas as Sheriff Dubit. Uh, and we got to say Frank Chase as Deputy Charlie. What's going on here is this lady who is an abused. I don't know if she abused I'm reading this. I don't know if she's abused. Mentally, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Mentally and emotionally, I'd say. Yeah. Um, she's a rich lady, a socialite, and she grows to a giant size because of an alien encounter. And uh, she goes after her cheating husband with revenge on her mind. That's It's a very simple premise, but it just takes a, a long time to get there. Uh, even though this movie is only an hour and five minutes. Um, so let's roll the trailer uh, and we will get back and talk about our first impressions. a normal, voluptuously beautiful woman. She drove into a nightmare of horror and saw descending from the sky a titanic monster whose fearsome touch became a frightful curse. You think I'm drunk, don't you? All of you! I'm not drunk! I'm not! You've got to believe me! Please. It was right in the middle of the highway, 30 feet tall! What, she's in the booby hatch? Throw the key away. That'll put you in the driver's seat. You'd make a wild driver, Harry. With 50 million bucks. What she saw was beyond belief until others, too, faced its hideous, uncontrollable menace. Attack of the 50-foot woman, incredibly huge, with incredible desires for love and vengeance. Ah! 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 
All right. Well, that was the trailer for Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Uh, this this film is probably most famous for its poster. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the quintessential, um, you know, 50s horror sci-fi drive-in iconic posters in film history. I mean, it's everybody's seen this poster. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately the film does not live up to the poster. Um, there, there were parts of it that I I felt had potential. Um, but this is, this is really the first time that I had sat down and watched this, uh, again, like the first movie. Uh, I think this is the true of a lot of these old fifties horror sci-fi drive-in movies. A lot of people have seen clips and bits, uh, but never really have sat down to watch the entire thing. Um, what about you, Vin? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'd never seen this before. Um, but like you know, like you said, I, I knew the poster. Um, it's definitely one of the best posters of the fifties. Uh, and I knew that the film had a, a reputation for being schlocky, but I also enjoy that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hadn't actually ever seen footage from it <laughs> before. Um, and the film definitely does not live up to the promise of the poster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that maybe this film would be, yeah, maybe about like female empowerment given its mm-hmm. subject. Um, but it's mostly sexist and condescending to women. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. I, I watched this with my wife and son and we all had a pretty good laugh. Um, you know, it's an awful movie, but I think it's kind of campy and bad in some of the best ways. Mm-hmm. And you said it only runs a little over an hour long and for what it's worth, my wife said she had a good time watching it. Um, so yeah, th- not good, but I look forward to talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, uh, their Taminator? I've seen this. Um, I don't know maybe 10 times in my life. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like I mentioned to you, I I kind of like this one, but more as like looking at it from like a female point of view. I mean, it's dealing with a very toxic marriage. It's dealing with the ideas that women of a certain age are kind of just, should just be thrown away. They're not really worth anything. And, you know, and it's, it's, I think if you took that giant plaster hand out of it, and if they would have put one-tenth of the amount of care into these effects that, uh, you know, the last movie did, and actually maybe added 20 minutes more to the movie and not wait till, like, eight minutes from the end for us to finally get the payoff of the 50-foot woman, there's a good idea here. They just, I mean, it is just the opposite of the first movie we watched in every single way. It still holds a little place in my heart, though. Yeah, I mean, I can see where it's goofy, campy, schlocky fun, and it could hold a place in your heart, especially if you've seen this movie growing up. Um, I know it was recently played on MeTV with, uh, what's that guy's name? The Shvengoli? Dennis yeah. Yeah, whatever. Um, you know, it's that kind of midnight movie, kind of goofy. Uh, but it just, I think it it kind of lost some points for me because I watched it directly after I watched uh, The Incredible Shrinking Man. Yeah, that's so, No, honestly. I mean, I, yeah. I, my, <laughs> the bar was set pretty diagonal high. Uh, and not just for special effects, but just storytelling. Um, and honestly, I didn't like anybody in this movie. No, <laughs> no. I didn't like. I didn't like no. her. Like, no. th- th- here's what you need to do with this kind of movie: 
you need to make her, you know, if she's really abused or put upon, you need to make her sympathetic. Yeah. So that when she grows and is out for revenge, we're like, yeah, girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. Well, that's care. part of the problem is because when we meet her, she's already in hysterics. Yeah. She's you a know? nutcase. Yeah. We never she's get the chance to sympathize yeah. with her. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, her husband is a grade A jerk. He's having a an affair like right out in the open. Like, yeah, and the just, townspeople are completely condescending to her. <laughs> yeah. And complicit uh-huh. with him. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know though, so, I, I I the thing about where the woman gets called psycho and crazy and alcoholic, so I I mean, I was married to a guy that cheated on me and I got I didn't get called alcoholic, but I got somehow that gets kind of put on, well, the woman led mm-hmm. him to do this or, you know, it was somehow, and, and I got, you know, I know I was called some of those names also. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it, it, would you be that person if that person wasn't doing that to you? You know, well, I mean, there, her, her psychologist even kind of alludes to that. But look at you how know? all the look at all the male doctors, especially that was yeah. German or what. I mean, they're just they're horrible. And I mean, she yes, I agree. I, I don't not saying I even liked her character or anything, but I do think there's some of that putting upon of mm-hmm. women that is was probably not that understood at that time and is just now getting acknowledged. I would say nowadays, you know, I think a lot of times, well, the ex-wife is always oh she's psycho, she's this, she's that, you know. But mm-hmm. when yeah. Like I was pregnant with my son when I found out my husband was cheating on me. That that, you know, like, would, what does that do to a person? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I might have become a little psycho and <laughs> not quite myself when I found out that information. You know, so I mean, mm-hmm. and, and she made it like when she like they were supposed to be reconciled now, right? And I mean, it say I mean, it seemed like she was. I mean. Maybe she was a little clingy and needy, but she was like, I love you and I want things to work out with you. And as he's got one foot out the door to go back to honey at the bar, you know, she, yeah. he just wants her yeah. money. Well, and that's that's why I was saying like she, you know, uh, this could have been about female empowerment, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the doctor, he made some claim that like, you know, mature women can become ruled by their emotions, right? And yes. irrationalism. Oh my <laughs> and, and the whole thing is too, Wait, like, when a woman reaches a certain age, nature... <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> overworks their frustrations to the point of irrationality. I love that you quoted that. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, wait, oh, hell no, I'm writing this down. <laughs> the worst part is, especially at the end, when they say she finally got Harry all to herself. Because yeah. they make her just sound dangerously dependent. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying that Harry finally got what he deserved for trying to yeah. rob and murder her. You know, yeah. so in the end, it kind of still seems like it's all her fault. Well, and um, yeah, I mean, look, she look how psycho she is. Now there she is, and she's finally right. got them all to herself. Good thing we blew her up. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> now let's talk about um, this satellite. They called it. Yeah. Or, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Is it supposed to be a spaceship? A satellite? Yeah, well, I don't this, know. This was this is just a year after Sputnik was uh-huh. launched, the Soviet artificial satellite, and the writer thought that satellite meant a spherical shaped spacecraft. Um, um, he didn't realize it meant something that goes around like a planet, you know? <laughs> um, oh so, because they didn't understand what a satellite was, that's why they're calling it a satellite instead of like a UFO or a spaceship. 
Um, that's why this movie's hilarious, man. I love in the very beginning when they're when they're describing the satellite, and there's a reporter talking about the path the satellite's taking, and he he goes walks over to a globe. Like when yeah. he says Auckland, Australia, he's clearly pointing to South Africa, yeah. uh-huh. and then he points over to like New Zealand. Like this, guy, like it was like the first take for this actor. He had no idea where anything was in the globe. Um, <laughs> they were all about realism. Yes, oh, we want to make man. this realistic. Yeah. And the One alien shot. is a giant, Mister Clean. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking they probably could have spent a little bit more time making the alien look. I mean. I don't understand. Number one, he was supposed to be a giant. And if he was a 50 foot tall giant, how is he fitting in this little sphere? <laughs> I know. You're thinking all the equipment too hard, for like Mark. normal sized people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I didn't understand that. Uh, let's talk about the daggone. Um, well, I guess we're not there yet. We're not, we're not to the, the climax yet. Well, I, I really I wanna, got a lot to say to the, the schlock for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, first of all, I love how she just drives up the spaceship and starts screaming. And <laughs> just comes out of the car and screams. Um, I love that. <laughs> but um, the best Typical thing is that woman. She's, <laughs> she's supposed to be, like, wicked wealthy. And she's supposed to be the most famous diamond in the world that yeah. she's wearing around her neck. But this movie has no budget. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I look like they, they refer to her house as palatial. But it just looks like a regular house on the inside, like, with some... With some curtains and like cheap furniture, um, it doesn't look rich at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just looks like a middle class house. That's it. Yeah. Um, Who's got a know? house we can use? Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love how her hair changes color for some reason mm-hmm. when she becomes a giantess. Um, uh, it's, it's like it's, it's blonde great. or red or something. Is it? I don't. <laughs> yeah, she goes from having dark hair to light hair. Um, yeah, because it doesn't yeah. even look like the same woman. Mm-mm. It really no. doesn't look like the same woman. Like the, and I don't know if they did that on purpose. Like when she, before she did, had this transformation, I kind of felt like she was, um, I don't handsome? know, uh, handsome. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. But she was like a like kind of like a bombshell. Va va boom. Yeah. No, when she because you look at those even those pictures. Um, those famous pictures of her standing behind the the the, the electric poles and the light. Mm-hmm. I mean, she looks very pretty, you know. But she she filled the role, I'll say, very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, she did. But uh, anyway, um, but what about like how she grows large and she somehow fits in that room still? Yeah, <laughs> she's still hand. laying in her bed, but she's fifty foot tall. <laughs> it's just, a regular sized bedroom. <laughs> With this, with this they big never old, explain it. With this big old paper mache hand yeah. laying there. Ah, the nurse screaming. Yeah. Oh my gosh, what is going on? That floppy hand like coming through the, the yeah. saloon doors. Yeah. The fingers like flopping all over the place. <laughs> and, and here you here go. Remember how we talked about how the Incredible Shrinking Man did did such great things with scale? Yeah. Okay. She reaches down into the bar to pick up her husband. Okay. She's supposed to be 50 foot tall. When they show her uh, holding this doll, it looks like a big, like raggedy Andy yeah, doll. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It doesn't even yeah. look like a person. It's no. like, <laughs> like somebody sewed a little suit under the thing. <laughs> like, what? What are they doing? 
my goodness. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Actually, she's transparent the half same, the time. Isn't oh. that the same hand that the uh, initial alien originally tries to steal her diamond with? I think so. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Craziness. Yeah, I, I was just like, I can't. I can't understand why she's transparent. What what was that? Was it just like just bad special effects? But I don't how, know. I don't know if they're projecting a movie like onto another screen. You know, like if they have like a almost like the rear projection going, but then they're projecting another film onto it mm-hmm. so that it looks like she's walking in that same space. I mean, I'm not entirely sure how they did the special effects, but that's what I think that they were doing. And that's why she looks transparent all the time because she's just being projected onto that thing. Um, I mean, I think maybe that's what it was. Now, you know, the, the parts where she looked good is where, where they had, like, they built the it's props. It's just a camera looking up at her. Yeah. Well, and they built the props, like when she right. rips the, the, um, the roof off of the bar. Or that yeah. telephone pole. Yeah, the, oh, you, yeah. Those are built to scale like props and that looked okay. Yep. But like it's, when she like walked up to the bar and there was a couple kissing in the car, it didn't look like she was any bigger than the car. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is this supposed to, is she supposed to be big? Because it's not, I don't know. She just never looked the same. She always looked either smaller or bigger or uh, it just, so inconsistent. I don't know. I mean, come on. It doesn't. It doesn't cost money to be consistent. Mm-hmm. That's just bad filmmaking. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna argue with it there. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. What else? What else? I like the old drunk prospecting for uranium. The what? The drunk. He had the. Uh, I think the metal detector or something. He was prospecting for uranium. He was trying to find uranium. I don't even remember that. I don't remember yeah. that either. Yeah, he. I think he's one of the first ones that ends up like he ends up seeing the alien or something like that. Or else he sees her walking, or he he sees one of the giants at some point. Um, but yeah, he's like with a dog or something. He's looking for uranium. And he's drunk and talking to himself. <laughs> I do not even remember that. I must have passed out. Oh. That's just so 1950s to me, though. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, man. I like how they really like the way uh, the guy's faces looked in the orbs. Because they kept showing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? The spaceship? Yeah. <laughs> the satellite, you mean? Well, yeah, yeah. They were, when they were inside the satellite, satellite yeah. You gotta know it's right. <laughs> um, I, I, did anyone like the attempted comedic presence of deputy Charlie. Oh, the dude is annoying. However, he, he, there is a great dance scene between him and honey. Dance. (laughs) Don't you remember that? No. Yeah. It goes on for like a whole minute. Him and honey. When they're at the bar, when they're at the bar and they, and Harry comes in. Right. They do oh, like this, yeah. yeah, and he tries to act like he wasn't dancing with her, but they like do this whole dance number. Oh my gosh! <laughs> they really tried. They really tried to to make him the comic relief. And yeah, he, he just wasn't funny. Now I hated him because he was so complicit with the husband, so he was on my list. Yeah, and gave gave him some money and said, uh, "Tell him I took a cab home." Yeah. Okay. 
One yeah. scene that I, I was actually not sure what I was watching. I mean, now I think it was just bad filmmaking, but um, I wasn't sure if they were actually trying to make her look insane because there's that scene when she's like in her living room and she's listening to the TV and the reporter mm-hmm. and he's just like going off on her. Like he's like basically talking, I, I think like talking to her in a very like condescending manner, you mm-hmm. know, like how she's crazy and everything else. And, you know, and I, I was trying to think as I'm watching it, I'm like, is this TV really saying this or is she imagining it? Because then she ends up like throwing her glass at the TV or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think a break in the TV. But I was just like, I was trying to think, I'm like, is this is this film trying to get psychological on me? Um, and then I think, no, it's just really bad filmmaking. They don't know how reporters talk. Yeah. Um, I think that's about it. But Yeah. And also, heck of a fight scene between... Uh, uh, the husband and the chauffeur, or whatever, yeah. like yeah. pushing each other, and rolling around. Oh yeah. my <laughs> gosh, what was that? Right up there, what they live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, man. It, I don't know. This is a movie that y- you might put on to laugh at. It yeah. really is. Yeah, that's why you do it. Yeah, <laughs> I just don't. I just don't see anything. Uh, that great about it. I mean, sorry, but it is a good one to laugh at. You know, this is is the kind of thing that Mystery Science Theater was made for. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Do do they have one of this? I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, I need to. I'd be kind of surprised if they didn't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just it depends on rights. But what anything anything good that we want to share about it? I mean, is there? Is there anything that they did well? I like how they tried to paint her as a victim mm-hmm. of like a toxic marriage and, you know, bad advice mm-hmm. and everything like that. I don't think that they succeed. I like how they tried to show that. Um, yeah. I don't think that's something that, you know, probably was given a lot of attention for females at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the fact that the husband is just, you know, completely, you know, unambiguously a scumbag. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I kind of, I was hoping they were going to take that somewhere better, but, um, you know, I'm going to acknowledge that they attempted. Yeah. I mean, what, what is it about this movie that makes you like it so much, Tammy? Is it just, uh, nostalgia? I think it's nostalgia. I, I it, it ticks a lot of boxes. Like I like, and I know it's used in a lot of movies, but I like that premise of, you know, somebody just happens to be there when the meteor or the satellite or the UFO is coming down and they're driving alone on a country road. You, I've seen that in other movies. I like that idea. And then they have to, you know, like the blob or, um, I don't know I, mm-hmm. what I can't think of anymore right now. But And then yeah. they've got to, you know, like convince the town of what they saw and no one believes them, blah, blah, blah. I think this is just... Uh, a, a cool, it's a cool idea. They just really, really fell short. I do think it's an entertaining hour of your time. Is it? It's nothing like the first movie that we watched. You know, it's there's no, no deep, hidden psychological meaning. No. This is just pure entertainment for an hour and ten minutes or whatever. I mean, I don't think anybody. Especially could, if you're. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say I don't think anybody could put this on, and say. 
my life is worse after watching yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it's, you're going to get some entertainment value out of it. Say, especially if you're with people who like bad films. You know, yes. like, if, you, if you're with uh, somebody else who can appreciate the, the train wreck that they're witnessing. <laughs> um, you know, the, these kind of films help you appreciate when films do it right. You know, because it's so it's so blatantly artificial (laughs) when you see these things. It really helps you appreciate, like, the Incredible Shrinking Man, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and how much craft actually goes into these sorts of things. I mean, Uh, this is bad on I mean, this is bad, like, uh, politically wise. This is bad (laughs) filmmaking wise. This is every wrong decision that could be made in this (laughs) film is made. (laughs) One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I I always say that you know I like to watch everything because I don't think you can truly appreciate what's good unless you know what's bad and, and you've seen bad and and so this is why especially are some, some movie why are some bad movies rewatchable like I admit it I've seen this several times I something about it you know I don't know probably the time period and. And, and knowing that one of my um, pet peeves is when filmmakers try to intentionally be schlocky. Yeah. Uh, it has to be uh, from a place of they were trying mm-hmm. to make a good movie, like with everything they had. Yeah. And this is what came out. Well, that's the thing. It's like this is, you know, it, it's... Yeah, there's a charm to it, you know. Yeah. Charm, um, it's like it's, yes. it's like when when a child shows you a drawing. Yeah. That's and it's not good, but you're like, oh, you tried. Yeah. You know. Yes. <laughs> good for you. I'm gonna put it on the fridge anyway. You know. Yeah. Uh, it's yes. it's kind of like that. It's like ah, oh, good try. Good try, um, Johnny. <laughs> that looks just like Grandpa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Somebody probably uh, went up to uh, what's his name. What's what's the grant the uh, director's name? Nathan Hurst. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he he didn't get any of that. He got this movie sucks, and that's why he had to change his name. Yes. No one told him it was good. But I'm sure it was a financial success though. I w- I'm looking here. No, it wasn't a financial success. I don't think. I don't think. Man, does that it have dude, cult status? That dude, uh, Nathan Geron. He actually made good movies. Yeah, he was the art director for How Green Was My Valley. How did that work? He was the art director for Harvey. Yeah, he he actually wasn't a hack filmmaker. Um, this is just one that didn't work. Uh, yeah, yeah, he 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 was definitely a part of plenty of, of good. Yeah, the work. Seventh Voyage of Sinbad he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and uh, he died at the age of ninety-five. Oh wow! Yeah. He he lasted a long time till two thousand two. So and that leads me to uh, our our star, um, Allison Hayes. I yeah. mean, she died very young, right? Yeah. She died um, forty six. Yeah, forty six in nineteen seventy seven, and it was because of what some sort of lead poisoning. Yeah, she was taking calcium supplements that that had lead in it. Um, so she became an invalid, and then she ended up getting leukemia. Crazy. <clears throat> And William Hudson died of cirrhosis of the liver at age 55. And uh, the weird one was Yvette Vickers, the one who played Honey. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, she didn't she didn't die until like around 2010, but her body was like was undiscovered for like a year inside her home. Um, was that her? So, oh, yeah. yeah. She, she was she was like very paranoid, right? Yeah, she became like, a real yeah reclusive, um, and her body was like mummified. Yeah. Uh, oh. mm. Crazy. So tragic, tragic yeah. endings. Yeah, all around oh, these people. It, it, this um makes me think we were talking about doing Attack of the Giant Leeches, and uh, Yvette Vickers is in that. Yeah, I think she was in a lot of these kind of things. <laughs> Played a similar character, I think. Yeah, um, she always plays that character. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I will say this: she was pretty, but mm-hmm. she was she was prettier than the than the handsome wife. wife. Yeah, <laughs> well, handsome wife. Yeah. So, and, and I love this trailer too. Shock. Frenzy, devastation. You know, get out of here. <laughs> if you've seen the trailer, you've seen all the best parts of the movie. <laughs> you most certainly have. Yeah. And yeah. she's definitely not straddling a freeway picking up cars. No. Uh, not is, like is the it, poster. But she does throw a car. Uh, she picks up the car. Um, who does she pick up the car? Whose car the does teenagers? she pick It was like, or, so, yeah. No, no, even on news before that, when she leaves... Yeah, I don't remember. I remember that. her picking up a car and it looking really horrible. Like no, she, I thought that the alien did that, didn't he? Was it the alien? I think it was the car that the, the yeah, sheriff it was, was yeah, driving it was in, the right? alien. Yeah. yeah, the alien did that. The bald alien picked yeah. up a car, the, the police car. It was like a station wagon. And uh, it, and it looked to me like he picked up a car and it the car in his hand looked nothing like the car that he was yeah. supposed to have been picking up. <laughs> Like you know, the alien was also played by the bartender. So if you look in the background of the yeah. bartender at the place, that was him. <laughs> uh, that's good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, I'm not sure if there's a whole lot much, uh, a whole lot more to say about this. Um, I, I'm going to open it up. Anybody? I, I, has anyone seen the remake? No. Is that uh, Daryl Hannah? Mm-hmm. Daryl Hannah, and it was a right. TV movie. I think I have. Now that you say that, mm-hmm. uh, made in nineteen ninety three, made for TV. Yeah, yep. I think I did. Yeah, I, you know, I, I wouldn't mind watching that just to kind of. Oh my gosh, the, it's directed by Christopher Guest. <laughs> so is it, it a comedy? Uh, it it says comedy sci fi. Yeah. Okay. So maybe you know they really embraced the the schlocky goofiness yeah. <laughs> part of it, but it looks like it's got the same, you know. Uh, same storyline, abused hair. He's holding the car in the poster. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to give that a watch. Yeah, me I don't know too. Where to, yeah, it might. I guarantee it's on YouTube. Mm, it's got a 3.9 on IMDb. That's okay. I'm still going to watch it. Me too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm still going to watch it. So, well, let's go ahead and rate this. I'm going to let uh, Tim Nader go first. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking about going first, then I was like, no. Let's see what Tammy really thinks about this. I don't want her to to uh, have her rating influenced at all by ours, Van. Alright. Um, hmm. And just remember, you mm-hmm. gave the first movie a nine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would okay, I would have to give this one a five, yet I know I will watch it again in my lifetime. And it's just that entertaining, but it's it's not good. And there's so, it, like there's so many things about it that 
make me mad, <laughs> like how women are treated and stuff. But mm-hmm. I still think it's just an hour of just plain old entertainment. So I'm going to give it a five right in the just, middle. Just plain old knee slapping. <laughs> slap your grandpa. Yes, just like yes, just like that. You know, it's a good example of of what not to do. Yeah, yeah. In so many ways, when you Unless make. Unless you're a junior high filmmaker, then, then you know what, or you're put you're like an elementary school play, and you have to make props for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Could be some good inspiration taken from this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it'll inspire you to make a. Really huge paper mache hand. <laughs> All right, Vin, what you got? What's your rating? Uh, I'm actually going to give the same rating as Tammy. Um, again, it's, you know, I, I, I generally, my ratings represent kind of how much I would recommend or how much I enjoyed the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the same kind of thing. Like, it's not a good movie, um, but it is a, you know, a cult schlock classic. Uh, if you come to it with the right mind, you'll have a lot of fun with it. It's yeah. bad, but it's bad in the right ways. Um, and it doesn't overstay its welcome. You know, it's <laughs> a little over an hour, you're done. And you can yeah. safely fast forward through some of it if you really need to. Um, so, yeah, if, if I gave it any much lower, I'd be saying avoid it. But I'm not saying avoid it. I'm saying it's bad, but it's fun bad. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm at a five. Yeah. Um, it's kind of hard to rent to uh, rate this, if you ask me. Um, I'm, I'm going to say 4.5 out of 10. Uh, I didn't think it was quite as fun as you guys thought it was because I thought that first, uh, honestly, the first hour out of the hour and five minutes, uh, I would say maybe the first 50 minutes, uh, just it drug a little bit to me. Like it just needed something. And Um, you watched it alone, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, see, I had my you wife ain't going to want to watch this. <laughs> my wife will be like, what did you just waste an hour of my time? <laughs> yeah. Um, so maybe I should do that, uh, have a bunch of friends over and, and screen this. I don't know. And then they might not be friends with me anymore. But this is the kind of thing I get through on the backyard, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a big yeah. 4.5 out of 10. And that's, that's not bad. Uh, it, it is worth watching if you are into... These types of, you know, I mean, it's it's a B movie in every sense of the word. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> know what you're going into, uh, going in, and I and I don't believe that the Incredible Shrinking Man is a B movie. No, I don't think so at all. So these are like the the opposite spectrums. Um, even though we screen them together at our drive-in, um, I, I think that um, they're completely completely opposite t- types of films so please please know that all right well we are going to uh head out of here we're going to give our uh our information where you can find us on the internet uh we're coming back with another drive-in episode in july and another july uh, and another august episode that is a drive-in so we were thinking about doing um, uh, maybe some triple features since some of these movies are very, very, uh, short, <laughs> like this hour and five minutes, hour and 10 minutes. Um, and when you would go to the drive-in, wouldn't you go to a triple feature? Mm-hmm. I remember, I remember it would, it would start at like six or seven and you'd have that first movie and then the second one. And then like the, the third movie would be 
going past midnight. Yeah, I think so. I think that makes a lot of sense. So we're gonna uh, come back to do that. I think all of us enjoy this this kind of thing. So, uh, Vin, why don't you tell everybody where you can uh, be found on the internet? Uh, well, on Facebook, I'm Vin Horrorcast. You can always find me at the Horrorcast group page, or the blog is therevenantreview.com. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Dot biz. All right, uh, Taminator. Well, I don't have a blog, but the rest is the same for me. Just uh, out there on my Facebook page, or else on our group page. Well, you can find me on my Facebook page, Mark Nato. Uh, you can follow us on our Facebook page. It's just the Horrorcast Facebook group. If you ask to join, I'll probably let you in. Um, one of us will let you in <laughs> and then, uh, you can email us at ask the at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the H cast and you can follow us on Instagram too at, uh, the horror cast. So, uh, we're all over the place, all over the place. So, all right, well, that's going to do it for episode 89 guys. Next one is going to be 90. 90. We're we're getting old. We're into our 90s now. <laughs> so uh, excited about that. And uh, yeah, so thanks for listening to this episode of the Horrorcast Drive-In, where it's all killer, no filler. Stay scared. As you leave the theater, folks, please be careful. Don't let this happen to your car. Be sure to remove the speaker before you leave. If you should accidentally pull a speaker loose, Please turn it in at our snack bar or box office. Thanks. Monsters and maniacs. Creatures and ghosts. What type of horror the video show?